This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to hemp present. Our radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to hemp present about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is the Hemp Present Resistance. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest. Speaking flower to power for 29 years and found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book, Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest, also found at hempfest.org. This show is a weekly Reefer Radio Rebellion, where I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement and beyond. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hempresent, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. I am bringing back some of the past guests I've had on this show over the 200 interviews that we have completed. My guest today has had the unique experience of being both a community activist and protester, as well as having sat at the helm of city government for nearly two decades. Nick Lakata served five terms over 18 years on the Seattle City Council, many of them as president, and was named Progressive Municipal Official of the Year by The Nation magazine. Nick is a founding board chair of Local Progress, a national network of 1,000 progressive municipal officials. And Nick is the author of the timely book, Becoming a Citizen Activist, Stories, Strategies, and Advice for Changing Our World. And he's joining me today. Welcome back, Nick, to Cannabis Radio. As a community activist myself, I just have so much respect for you. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be back on your show, Vivian. You bet. Um, let's just dive in. Uh, there's so much to unpack. Since you were on this show in February of 2016, our world has transformed to the degree that it's almost unrecognizable just from four years ago. Did you ever think you'd be seeing the kind of things that we're witnessing in America right now? What's your, your general sense of things? Uh, not in particular, but actually I'm not surprised. Um, People can only be oppressed for so long before they get tired of it. And I think that as uh, particularly under this administration, uh, the exercise of federal power has been so naked in its uh, obstruction of basic civil rights and its um, basically disrespect of anyone who is not a follower of this particular uh, president who does not act like the president. We have witnessed in recent months nationwide demonstrations 
catapulting the Black Lives Matter movement into the forefront of the national narrative, uh, you know, something that that is extremely powerful, trans, uh, transformational moment in this country. Here in Seattle, activists occupied a several square block section around the Seattle Police East Precinct, an action that was named CHOP for Capitol Hill Organized Protest, among other names. Uh, the occupation gained really significant national attention, both positive and some negative. What are your initial thoughts about that action, which lasted just short of one month and ended uh, after several isolated incidents of violence? Right. Well, as you know, I, I, I published a newsletter called Urban Politics, and I wrote uh, a special issue just on what you're talking about, like what was um, CHOP uh, all about and what did we gain from it? And let me say uh, right off, there were very definite gains from it. It added to the discussion and the momentum. And I would say, quite honestly, the political pressure for the city council in particular um, and local politicians, uh, including the county, to not just take up um, recognition of Black Lives Matter, but actually to seriously look at, um, I would say, defunding or more appropriate, probably uh, replacing the current um, use of how we use uh, our police departments and to think about them as something that is not a force to just um, capture criminals because in that mentality, everyone's a criminal. Hmm. Um, I think that, uh, but to make them a positive benefit for the community, and that means obviously redirecting one of their funds. But um, one of the problems with um, uh, the, the CHOP, or CHAS was originally known, was that um, it was really a grassroots effort and there was never any one particular group that was leading it, uh, even though Black Lives Matter as a group um, was involved in its formation and, and actually got the public to recognize the name was not autonomous zone, it was an organizing uh, protest. Um, but no one was really able, and still to this day, uh, to control um, the effort that's going on in that area, on particularly around Capitol Hill and the old East Precinct. Um, and so it has a life of its own, and that has good things and bad things about it. Uh, the bad things, obviously, is that it gives us the right wing an opportunity to shoot a lot of video coverage and, and talk about terrorism, which is... Um, you know, a fantasy, but nevertheless, um, it helps, I think, build uh, the right wing's influence. And uh, the good things is that it's, it gives people encouragement that they can create an alternative future. Do you think that it's an, a challenge or an obstacle that when the right wing media and others uh, say kind of inflammatory and maybe incorrect things about the Black Lives Matter movement, that there's really no central voice. Uh, there's there's no authority in the movement to speak out uh, to correct those things. Well, I guess what I'm arguing is that it's not something that will happen um, organically. There are groups that are out there. In fact, I uh, again the thing I wrote there's there's five different groups that could have tried to um, influence this the goal setting of the demonstrations or of, of that um, chop area. And in some instances, they were unable to, and in other instances, they didn't want to because they knew they couldn't and they would perhaps lose their nominal 
leadership role right. uh, within that event and within that that community. So what you typically see in events like this is that certain people will come forward who are seen by the media as leaders and they generally are articulate spokespeople, but they have no real power to uh, change the course of the events around them. They can interpret them and they can give, uh, you know, banner sort of uh, justifications for what's going on and that helps, but they can't control what's going on. Um, you know, it's different. I mean, Seattle's had a number of what would I'd call takeovers of buildings that do actually accomplish very specific goals. And I, I mentioned Central de la Raza, you know, you, you have the African-American Museum, the Daybreak Star Center. These are all areas that were minority groups that literally did take over buildings that- All um, Seattle, Seattle-based. Uh, these are all Seattle-based, yeah. but they all were successful, um, I would say, protest movements that had a very defined goal. This, uh, the events that are happening in Seattle, and for that matter, around the country, in all cities, all around, and there were 5,000 cities that have had protests uh, after George Floyd was killed, and, 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 and then also the recognition that so many other Black citizens have been killed by police and other minorities, that um, uh, all of them had the basic, basic theme of we have to have police authority within this country that's largely local, um, respect the rights of all citizens and recognize that uh, minorities in particular have been uh, discriminated against. And to that extent, you need to change what they call police culture. And to do that, you may have to actually start um, refunding how we spend our money for public safety rather than militarized approach, but more ho a holistic approach of approaching uh, what people's real needs are. On that note, since 2012, the Seattle Police Department has been under a federal consent decree since the Department of Justice began investigating SBD in 2011. After community leaders said that police were using excessive force, particularly on minorities, you were involved in establishing a civilian review board to oversee police action in Seattle years earlier. In your 2016 book, Becoming a Citizen Activist, you have a subchapter called Let the Police Speak. Um, you ha also have a chapter on listening um, where you and you touch on the importance of having all voices heard. Do we need to hear more from police in this national conversation taking place on policing today? Or, or do you think we already know what we need to know to make demands for reform? Well, we, we do need to listen to police uh, because they don't speak with one voice. And I always, I mean, for instance, I make a point of listening to Fox News. I, I, I want to understand where they are not just where they're coming from, but how they see the problem. And what I learned from my experience on the council and, and working with police unions is that um, they uh, are not one united one. In fact, there's division between line police and management within the police department, but they tend to, uh, if you attack police in general, they tend to rally the, uh, the you know, wagons together and therefore they all defend each other's um, you know, their status. Um, I, I think the, the attempt to recognize that there are some very reasonable people who want to be police officers and want to serve the community. It's a question of giving them the power to overcome. And I think it's fair to say probably the majority opinion of many police officers 
that they're more interested, as I said, in probably catching criminals and not that concerned about um, what the more subtle uh, needs of the communities are. Um, and there's, there's power there in knowledge. And if you can, and, and you have to use political power to change this, the institution itself, but identifying people within that institution that are willing to take up new leadership roles to change that institution, I think that will, um, that will diffuse the opposition and allow the, I would say the progressive forces to ultimately win their objectives. Nick, in your internet newsletter, which you mentioned, uh, you wrote, and I quote, a bigger barrier to success than competing philosophies is the ambiguity of defining an objective when an open public space is being occupied in possible perpetuity. Who controls the space and who has access to it? Um, going back to CHOP, the, the, the compound, what do you think the biggest challenges are for sustained occupation protests, such as Occupy Wall Street and CHOP? Um, I am not a believer of permanently uh, uh, occupying public space like those because I haven't ever seen it done successfully. You can look at, for instance, there's a, a large commune in um, Copenhagen, uh, Christiana. Christiana, right. involves, you know, thousands of acres and they took over a military base. But it, it, and, and it still operates as a collective. I've been there. I think it's great. But when you take over a public space that's in a community, you're affecting more than just the people who take over that space. You're affecting the people who live around that space. And they have probably over a period of time thought of it as their space. And therefore, you are sort of immediately um, limiting the, um, the extent to which you can build allies because a lot of the people that you expect to be allies are people who are thinking of that property as, as theirs or at least them having access to it. If you deny them access or uh, limit it in some fashion, then um, there's, not, there's not a common ground there to start a, a really positive um, dialogue around. That's why I said it'd be better, I think, for groups to focus on a, a building or a very specific objective. Um, I mean, a community garden would work, I think. And they did start that at CHOP. And maybe that may be one of the things that will continue. But when you, uh, and CHOP wasn't a huge area. You know, I've, I heard Fox say it was like a 12 acre, um, it's <laughs> a 12 block diameter, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it was like three blocks, you know, and yet it got national media coverage because it was so unique. And quite honestly, calling it an autonomous area sort of was like throwing a, a lit match into the gas tank of, of Fox News. But um, it, go you know, it accomplished a lot as far as getting ideas across and getting momentum. But actually, as far as wanting to control that land in the future for the next 50 years, whatever, it's just I just don't see it happening. And I don't think it in itself is the objective that you really want to accomplish. You want to, for instance, defund the police or reorient their funds, or you do want to start a community garden. But literally, I don't think you want to uh, start a state within a state or a city within a city or something of that sort. I am talking to Nick Licata, author of Becoming a Citizen Activist. We're coming right back for our second segment. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
Smart Pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, Smart Pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart Pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million Smart Pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for Smart Pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Empire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Empire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones through those of researchers and medical professionals. Welcome to Hempire. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back with Nick Licata. Uh, Nick, members of the Seattle City Council are calling for a 50% cut in funding for the Seattle Police Department, and Mayor Jenny Durkin has called for a much smaller reduction. What would you be asking for if you were still on the city, Seattle City Council, and what are your feelings about defund the police as a slogan? You kind of touched on that earlier. Is that Some people see it as, as get rid of the police, and, and where it might be more apt to say reallocate funding. Right. Well, you know... Um, not that we're having a revolution, but revolutions and, and quite honestly, major uh, movements um, need um, well-defined uh, and motivating slogans. Defund the police is a very powerful statement. Uh, as a plan, it falls a bit short, um, and there's legitimate concerns about, well, where does the money go? And, you know, you could defund the police and end up um, quite honestly, a right wing would say, yeah, let's defund the public police and let's just um, have private corporations do it. I mean, you know, that's what the prison system's all about. You have private, you know, let's not have prisons and you don't have public prisons and we have private prisons. So, I mean, there is a road that uh, I would say that reactionary forces could go down, adopt that slogan, and uh, you end up in a worse situation. So you have to think through what you want to accomplish, which is more complicated than a slogan. But in essence, you want to change how we use police and what they're paid to do. Uh, Camden, New Jersey did something very radical. They actually fired the whole police department and, and then rehired everyone else. And they were able to do that uh, because they, they worked with the county then. But they all had to sign a new contract. They had to sign a new 
justification for what they're going to be doing. And in some ways, that's a more radical approach, but it's actually a cleaner approach. Um, one of the major stumbling blocks, I believe, that we have, not in Seattle, but just other major cities that have uh, police departments that are, I would describe, are no longer accountable to the communities that they serve, is that um, they have, uh, you know, police unions, but they operate more like guilds than unions. And they, and they say that in that um, they have a, a culture of survival more than service. And as a result, um, they are out of touch. They are, they are a huge stumbling block. I mean, the 18 years I was on the city council, I talked to the unions, the SPOG, the Seattle Police Union, all the time. I had some cordial conversations and I listened to what they had to say, but we were on the opposite side, I would say 90% of the time. And I was always telling them, look, this is not because we don't like you. This is because we want the job done that protects people. And their mentality is, oh, we're protecting, we're protecting against criminals, but then they have such a broad definition of criminal, they're arresting people in the community for doing activities that are not really criminal. And that is the hard part to, to get into the minds of the police. And the way that Camden did it is, when you were the police department, you actually negate the contract for the union. So then they, had, they created a new union, but the new union was under basically a new framework of what the objectives are were for the department. That's a sort of unique, very um, so dramatic, radical approach. But if I was on the council, I would lead some folks over to Camden, New Jersey, see what they did. And I would be bringing back ideas and bringing back solid proposals for what kind of things we could do that would approach what they did. Um, you know, you learn from the most, in my opinion, the most progressive institutions, practices that are going on and are succeeding in other parts of the country. That's how I got the uh, Office of Labor Standards established in Seattle. Went down to San Francisco, they had one, and now we have uh, an office that can enforce minimum wage, enforce paid sick leave. But having a law without enforcement is not, is not like having any law at all. And so that's why defund the police in and of itself is not enough. Mm -hmm. um, Nick, Donald Trump and Attorney General Bill Barr have sent federal agents, uh, unmarked federal agents into Portland, Oregon to tangle with the BLM protesters. And now it appears that they have come to Seattle. How do you think that the city council should respond to this unprecedented overreach by the feds? Well, they should tell them that they're not needed. And two, they should ask, uh, since we don't have control over them, uh, I would ask them in writing to put down what they are going to be doing in Seattle and why do they come? Um, and I would make that the issue. Um, if we make the issue, we don't want them and they want to say, well, we're going to be there protecting and stuff like that. You know, the game really always is get it in writing. And if they refuse to put it in writing, then that's the issue. They are afraid to put in writing why they're coming or what they're supposed to do. And if they put something in writing that's too vague, then you attack the vagueness. Um, because that is, looks like there's an ulterior motive, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, there's an article that just came out in Foreign Affairs of All Publications. And the, the writer was very, I would say, very upfront saying that Trump is using fascist techniques in, in the sense that 
uh, trying to create situations where there is more conflict in order to justify greater uh, uh, control at the top, uh, using the fire at the Reichstag as an example, what the Nazis did to eventually actually kick out social Democrats from the government. Um, but out and all the communists, and that's how they took over the, the government in, in Germany. Um, the, the, the thing is, is that uh, I, I think that the actions that Trump and the Trump administration and the Trumpites, because it's more than just a handful of people, are following is that they believe that they are right and that power makes right and they are uh, very willing to use not just political power, but military power uh, in order to what they see as protect the country. And that in itself is a very fascist. Um, the end uh, justifies concept. the means. Yes. Um, but I think Seattle, you know, in, in having conflict, you want to control the landscape, right? I mean, that's a basic element of any sort of physical conflict. And the landscape is more than just we control Seattle. You want to control the narrative and you want to control what the public can understand. And you have to make the, um, the conflict as simple and clear as possible. Um, and that's why you always want to force, in this case, Trump and the administration, force them to explain what they're doing to the public and then attack that. Nick, polling currently shows Trump trailing behind Vice President Biden and Bernie Sanders calls Biden's platform, quote, the most progressive platform in 50 years. Millennials are the largest generation in human history and they appear to be largely woke. Uh, and socialism is polling better for the first time in memory than capitalism in America. Uh, depending on the poll, do you feel optimistic that things might be shaping up for a sustained progressive backlash to Trump's scorched earth right-wing policies? Or do you see any light at the end of this crazy tunnel we're in? Well, I am, I am guardedly optimistic. I do see light. Um, and I think that the, the Democrats and the progressives, the leftists, I think have learned from 2016 that you do not put your faith in the polls <laughs> no matter yes. what they say, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, polls that um, Hillary had, Clinton, was that uh, more people were uh, turned off by Trump than Hillary by, I think it was 8% or so. And everybody felt, wow, with that margin, Hillary's in, even though she's disliked, they dislike Trump more. That's not how people vote necessarily. It's not how well they like you. It's what they think they have to do. We can't get a, a false sense of security here. Exactly. And that's why, uh, in fact, this coming tomorrow, I just read there's 26 progressive organizations that are um, having a Zoom meeting, I imagine, and uh, talking about um, creating a ground game and raising funds. People don't realize it. Trump has a phenomenal ground game much bigger right now than the Democrats do. And I know people are trying to believe. 20 seconds, Nick. Yeah. So we need to build a deep ground game across the country, and we need to be united. 
I am talking to the author of Becoming a Citizen Activist uh, on Sasquatch Books, Nick Lakata. We're going to take another break, come back with our final segment. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. We're back to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're back for the final second segment with Nick Lakata. Nick, this is just a defining moment in American history. It's, it's, it's alarming, but it's so exciting to watch. Uh, we still have a few minutes left. Is there anything that you'd like to add or leave our listeners with that we haven't touched on so far? Well, actually, um, let me just toss out a couple uh, ideas here. W- one is that um, I believe successful movements are successful because people not just have hope, but they also enjoy the effort, the struggle. They enjoy it as sort of an expression of the of their best of intentions and creative. And this gets down to, to a certain extent, your own efforts in creating HempFest, bringing many, many people together with the objective in those days of legalizing you know, cannabis. And, and, the, and now there's even a movement to legalize or decriminalize psychedelics. But, you know, look at the, the uh, gay movement. It took them 20 years, but they ended up like uh, HempFest with winning the majority of people uh, as to what could be a better world to live in. Um, We need to focus on that and we need to make it inclusive. And I say inclusive, I'm also talking about, we need to 
you know, they say extend across the aisle. We need to start thinking of ourselves as citizens, not as members of tribes. And that is a huge uh, breakthrough, I think, that uh, I, I've been focusing on myself and giving a lot of thought to because we've begun to think about citizenship as a legal process, a piece of paper. It isn't that. It's a mentality and it is a manner of behavior that is supportive of other citizens and recognizes their rights and your responsibilities to enforcing those rights. And when we think of ourselves as tribes, then you end up thinking of yourself as, does this person look like me? Does this person have the same house like me? Does this person live in the same area? And you're looking always at divisions. There will always be differences and you can celebrate those differences, but you need to understand that there is a common bond amongst all of us. I think it's humanity. And I think that humanity is expressed the best way through in politics, through a democratic structure that has citizenship where everyone is a citizen and everyone has an equal opportunity to exercise some authority and power over their lives. Nick Licata found at becomingacitizenactivist.org. I want to say thank you for being on him present. And I also want to leave with saying I miss the, the poetry at the city council meetings here in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> All right. You take care, Nick. Okay. Now I'm going to get to a weekly feature him present on cannabisradio.com. That's the quote of the week. And here it is. We shouldn't be looking for heroes. We should be looking for good ideas, and that is American linguist, social critic, and political activist Noam Chomsky. That concludes this installment of Hampton on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man on the control, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hemp sapien on our journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, toke it easy. I'll be back next week when I can get the words out better. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save